uh, fellowship. Oh, what fellowship, oh, what joy divine. And um, we've already covered the particulars. I've talked about the points. And now we're going to look at the purpose. And that's on your worksheet. That's that first blank. Is the purpose of John's epistle is threefold. The purpose of John's epistle is threefold. And number one, uh, that your joy may be full. Fellowship with the Father and Son cannot be possible if truth is not present and active in the life of the reconciled, in the life of the believer. Truth has to be present and it has to be active in our life in order for us to know the joy of fellowship with the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7 through 7 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So there must be that truth present in our life and active in our life. So on your worksheet, God is light and to enjoy fellowship with God, we must also walk in light. His truth manifested by his son alive in us. Through the unction of, uh, from the Holy One, the Spirit of Truth. So God's truth must be alive in us. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, you will not have fellowship with the Father. I don't care what you might think. If you do not have Christ as your Savior, you will never have fellowship with the Father. First uh, John five eleven through twelve says, and this is the record that God hath given to us, hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. God is life. If you don't have the Son in your life, then you're not going to have fellowship with God who is life. So on your worksheet, John is emphatic, emphatic, concerning the truth being alive in those who know the truth. Emphatic. 1 John 2, 3, that means he's serious, okay? Uh, This is serious stuff. 1 John 2, 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 3, 18 through 19 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So the truth has to be alive in us. The truth has to be present in us and the truth has to be alive in us in order for us to enjoy fellowship with God. So, um, on your worksheet, I think it's C, letter C, this truth living in us and through us is one of the corroborations, corroborations mentioned by John in this epistle. You're going to have to stop using these big words for the fifth. <laughs> That's a $10 word. I know. I know. And you're getting it for free. Corroborations mentioned by John in this epistle as an assurance of fellowship with God and that we desire to keep God's commandments rather than live contrary to them or in rebellion against them or remain ignorant of them. 
Okay, everybody keeping up so far? Corroborations. Corroborations. Yes. Yeah. Not corruption. That's how I spell it. See, that's, that's, that's the problem. There's too much corruption and not enough corroboration. Okay. So 1 John 1 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see, that's an inconsistency with a believer in Jesus Christ. If you claim to know the Father and have fellowship with the Father, but yet you choose to walk in darkness, that's an inconsistency. There's no corroboration all right, between the truth and how you're living. And in the, in the first epistle of John, it is the issue of fellowship and assurance and not so much a question of salvation. That's very important to understand. It's an issue of fellowship and assurance and not so much salvation. Now John does make it very clear um, a distinction between those who do know God and those who do not know God. Okay? But, on your worksheet, John's message is to those who know God and not for those who do not know God. So the general epistle of 1 John is written to us, the believers. To, to us who know God. So that's why it's fellowship and assurance and not so much salvation. So on your worksheet, John's purpose is that those who do know the Father and the Son may have the assurance that they also can know the fullness of this fellowship. Again, it's fellowship and not so much salvation. You see, it's when we as believers are walking in accord to God's truth, that is, walking in the light, um, and we reject the influence of the darkness, right? That we reject the the influence of the darkness that surrounds us, so subtle, so tricky, but when we embrace God's truth, when we are walking in accord to God's truth, then we will come to know the full joy of this fellowship with God. And don't we want to know the full joy of fellowship with God? I know I do. I know I do. And it's only by walking in his light that we will experience the joy of fellowship that John is talking about in this epistle. Now the second point is this, that ye sin not. God is righteous. Jesus Christ is righteous. Ergo, those who know him are righteous. So righteous is your word there, all three places. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. One of the earmarks of a believer is that they are righteous and they live righteously. On your worksheet, 
And we'll address this in more detail when we come to this in our study. But let it be said up front that the joy of fellowship is best experienced when we doeth righteousness even as he is righteous. It's when we walk in darkness. It's when we are disobedient. It's when we, you know, are self-willed. It's when we do what we want to do that we that our fellowship with God suffers. That our fellowship with God is, is disrupted or ruined. And, and we don't know the joy of his fellowship because of our disobedience. Now, come on, you guys, you understand this, don't you? When you're out of sorts with God, aren't you really kind of miserable, really? Sure you are. But when you're walking with the Lord, when you're, you know, you know, you know that you're walking a righteous life, there's a joy in that. I mean, it may not make your friends and family happy, <laughs> but there is a joy in your heart because of that, because you're walking in the light even as he is in the light. Also, if we are out of sorts with God, guess who else we're out of sorts with? Everybody else. Everybody else. Your wife, your friends, your church, sisters and brothers. Now, does this say that we don't sin? Oh yeah, we're going to sin. In fact, John recognizes that we all possess that potential to sin. There is going to be a time when we're going to end up walking in darkness. It, it, that's just, unfortunately, the, the fact of, of life on this old world. As long as we are dwelling in these bodies, as long as that old nature is there, there is going to be the potential of us you know, slipping off, off the path. So on your worksheet... Uh, I think it's B, when we permit sin to foul our fellowship with God, the Father who is gracious, remember that's John's name, Jehovah is a gracious giver, the Father who is gracious has given to us an advocate. His Son Jesus Christ as well as had made provision for us when sin disrupts our fellowship with him. 1 John 2.1. I, I hope your Bibles are open to 1 John. Because that is what we're studying. <laughs> Thank you. Way to go, Alicia. Gold star for Alicia. 1 John 2.1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. See, that's the goal. That's the aim. And if any, if any man sin, it's going to happen. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we'll dive a little deeper into this when we come to this in our study. But the Lord is our advocate. The Lord is our advocate. Now I want to tease you a little bit about this advocacy of the Lord. On your worksheet, the word advocate is also the same word translated comforter. Found in John's Gospel concerning who? The Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Remember what we read here in 1 John 2, 20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One. That's the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. 
John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, shall testify of me. Then finally, John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the word advocate is the same word comforter. Comforter. So on your worksheet, we have an advocate in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest making intercession for us. Intercession. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able to also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's an ever living high priest. Unlike the priesthood under Aaron that dies and has to be replaced Jesus never dies. He never has to be replaced. He's living forever making intercession for you and me in heaven. Okay, now, we're going to get in some deep waters here just for a second. The Lord Jesus Christ's death on Calvary was a full and final atonement for our sin. Do you agree with that? We don't need to add anything to it. On your worksheet, this finished work on the cross brings to us a full and free forgiveness, yet we are still sinners. Alright? And this pathetically prohibits prohibits us from fellowship with a thrice holy God. Okay, nobody's screaming out heresy yet. Hang on a second. Does that not sound kind of odd to you? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? The heavenly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ addresses this need. We've got forgiveness. We are now reconciled to God. But because we are sinners by nature, there's still that disruption of fellowship because like John says, you know, I don't want you to sin, but I know you will sin, so God's provided something for you. Here's the provision. While in the sacrifice on the cross on earth provides for us forgiveness, his priestly ministry in heaven as our advocate on your worksheet maintains our acceptance by God. That's his intercessory work. That's why he's the advocate. He's maintaining that uh, acceptance with God. Ephesians 1.6 To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You see, it's not my merits that has gained me access into the presence of the throne room of God. It is Jesus Christ's merit that gains me access. And if it were not for Christ and his indwelling Holy Spirit in my life, there would be no fellowship with the Father because of my sinful nature. That would prohibit that free and full fellowship. But God has made a provision for that in his Son, Jesus Christ, being the high priest in heaven and giving me his Holy Spirit, the unction from the Holy One. That has nothing to do with me. That's all God's grace. You see that now? You see that now? Yeah. Yeah. See, there are. 
sort of related to this, and I just want to know what the right way of speaking about it, I guess, would be. You hear this a lot in different Christian circles about the Holy Spirit, about you need more of the Holy Spirit, or you need to, you know, get get Him in you, and you know, especially if you're in sin or you're yeah. you know, falling away. Yeah. What is the right way of filled? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, which means are you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? At? We get we we have all of the Holy Spirit that want that that God's going to give us. I mean, we have all we've got the divine nature. We are made partakers of the divine nature. When he says be filled with the Spirit, he means be controlled by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. In other words, it's not you getting more of the Spirit; it's you giving more of yourself to the Spirit. It's your sub- yeah, it, because I'm going to be honest, because it's the Pentecostal charismatic uh, influence in Christianity today. And um, okay, I'm kind of jumping ahead in the study here. One of the main problems with the Laodicean church age that we live in is a lack of discernment because they have rejected the standard to go by. And it's all about feeling. It's all about my rights. It's you know, it's, it's what I think on the thing. So a lot of what we hear in music and, and a lot we read on the popular books, that is from a Pentecostal charismatic influence that has seeped into what at one time would have been called uh, Christian orthodoxy, you know, or that solid doctrinal fundamental faith. And it's even creeped into a fundamental faith. Yeah. No, we're not a vessel that needs filled up. We're a vessel that needs to submit ourselves to the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. So no, we don't need more of the Spirit. And please, Holy Spirit, come down and be with us. He's already there. He's already there. Ephesians 1, 3. So. All Spirit's blessings. So does that kind of answer your question? And, and John's going to talk about that when we go through the epistle. So on earth, these bodies of clay, while we dwell in this sinful flesh... We have the divine comforter indwell us. That's that unction from the Holy One that helpeth our infirmities. That help us with this sinful uh, life, this sinful nature that he has. He, he helps our infirmities with this. And uh, Jesus Christ is our advocate in heaven praying for us and interceding for us. In John 8, 20, Romans 8, 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, those infirmities is not like your bum leg or your, you know, or, or your bad physical heart. Our infirmities is we deal with this fleshly nature, this carnal nature, all the time. And so the Holy Spirit of God is given to help us in our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now honestly, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, he does. He knows exactly what's going on. So God's in tune to what's going on in your life. And so we just simply need to trust in that and submit to that. And when we do so, that's when we come to realize that full fellowship with the Father. But we as Christians, are we just for some reason, we're so resistant to that. I think the main reason why we're resistant to that, and I'm getting off my notes, 
is because we do not want to die to self. We don't want to do it. We simply don't want to do it. We love self so much that we don't want to die to self. Not realizing that when we die to self, we live on to Christ. And that's where the real joy is. That's where the real joy is. So on your worksheet, by this dual ministry of the Comforter, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and our Advocate, the kingly high priest and throne in heaven, the Father has graciously provided all dual ministry. The Father has graciously provided all that is necessary to maintain fellowship with the Father. He's provided it for us. Remember John's name. Jehovah is a gracious giver. Everything that we need to enjoy the full fellowship with God, he has given us. But like spoiled children, we don't take advantage of what he has given us. Right? Yes, ma'am. What are you calling dual ministry? The ministry of Jesus Christ as the advocate in heaven. That's what I said right here is kingly high priest. And indwelling Holy Spirit who prays for us and intercedes for us. So we have the comforter within and the advocate on the throne. That's what I mean by dual ministry. hitting the same point and this guy went further he was claiming he did about dying on the cross and then went at the advocate he went in so strong he was saying that you would not have your salvation if you didn't have the advocate and this is just saying the fellowship uh, that would I think he's right if you didn't have the advocate the Lord Jesus Christ you wouldn't have salvation you need Jesus Christ for salvation yeah yeah now the advocacy of Jesus Christ is that he's up there representing us He's our representation in heaven. But I think I don't know what it is you read in the book. Okay? I don't know exactly what it is. But you know, if we didn't have Jesus Christ as our advocate, we wouldn't have we would not have salvation because you wouldn't have Jesus Christ. So, you see what I'm saying? Advocate's not even our choice then. We just have No, he's our ad- no, it's not our choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now receiving Christ as our savior is is our choice. But and then he becomes our advocate. And then he becomes our advocate. So what the Father has given in grace, he'll not take away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, In fact, we don't even need to show up. Anyway, that's another thing. So what the Father has given in grace, he will not take away, and truly he has not left us or forsaken us. Okay, so we've got the unction of the Holy Spirit within us. We have our advocate, the high priest in heaven. Uh, interceding for us in heaven, we have him interceding, interceding for us in our hearts, in our minds, and therefore we can enjoy the full fellowship of the Father in heaven. He's he's made all that provision. I told you we were getting into deep waters. Okay, I told you that. So uh, it's over our heads in some places. It really is. So on. So C. It is the willful persisting in a life of unrepentant, consistent sin that is inconsistent with one who claims to be in fellowship with the Father and the Son. 
1 John 1, 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, he's pretty plain, we lie and do not the truth. That's inconsistent. First uh, John two six. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So if somebody's claiming, yeah, I'm in fellowship with the Father, but yet they live like hell on earth, that's inconsistent with what the Bible says. That's inconsistent. Just as walking in darkness would be inconsistent in walking with the light, whoever is not doing righteousness would be inconsistent with the one who is righteous. And if one hates their brother, well, that's inconsistent with the God who is love. You see what I'm saying? It's living an inconsistent life. Jesus called it hypocrisy. It's not real. Not real. Now, I know what's going through some of your minds. Well, does that mean that somebody like that is not saved? I'm not the judge of that. God's the judge of that. It could be this individual is saved, but they're so carnal and so self-willed that you really can't tell how they're, you know, by the way they're living. And I know a lot of folks like that. They can give you the gospel, they can quote the verses, but they don't live the life. And I'm not the judge of somebody like that. That's God's, that's God's, that's God's um, position to do. 1 John 3.10 says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. That's pretty black and white. Pretty black and white. 3. I am not going to get done. Three is that ye may know with knowledge is strength. First John pulls no punches. Okay? First John pulls no punches. With knowledge is strength. Proverbs 24 5 says, A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. A. John's purpose in writing this epistle is to assure those who know the Father and the Son of certain truths that they already know. He wants to assure them. 1 John 2.21 I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He wants to assure them of the truth that they believe in. Because there's liars out there telling you another truth. This truth is being assaulted by that spirit of error that's working in the world. This truth is being assaulted by the false prophets and the many antichrists. You know, whenever we hear the we hear the word antichrist, we think of, you know, the, the big big guy in Revelations. But there are many antichrists. Many antichrists. And they, they proffer their lies in order to disrupt and ruin fellowship with the Father. Not just for themselves, but others. They, they, they corrupt that. Oh, well, they're already corrupt. So they're not even in fellowship with the Father in the first place. And they try and do that to you. And yeah, because they've got they've got their own truth that they want to they want to propagate. Some thirty nine times in in First John, the words know, known, knoweth, knew are are mentioned, and also the word perceive. 
And when John uses these words, these are declarations of certainty. And I've said this before, John does not present this truth as something to be argued about. He presents these truths as something to be believed. This is the way it is. There is no black, there is no white. This is the way it is. Or There's no gray. It is black and white, there is no gray. This is the way it is. This is just the way it is. And he wants to assure those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior that they have a faith that will overcome the darkness that's in this world. 1 John 5, 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So our faith will overcome the world. It is light. On your worksheet, the enemy seeks to shake our confidence. To ruin our fellowship by obscuring God's light with darkness through the false prophets and antichrists in the world. Shake our confidence. Now whether they do it wittingly or not, I don't know. But I do know if you've ever met with a Jehovah Witness on your doorstep, that's the first thing they try to do. As they try to shake your confidence in what you believe. And if you're a weak believer, they'll do it. They'll spin you around and run circles around you to shake your confidence in what you know is truth, claiming that their truth is the real truth. That's true of any cult. Any cult. So on your worksheet... These antichrists and false prophets are, are empowered and inspired by the spirit of error in contrast to the spirit of truth. By promoting sin over righteousness manifested by the, fle- by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life as well as minimize our love for God and His truth and our brothers for love of self and the world. We see that today, folks. I mean, what is preached... Who is the most important person in the world that, that, that's often preached about? Who is the number one person? Me. Yes, exactly, me. Me, myself, and I, that unholy trinity. So the enemy seeks to accomplish this by undermining those things that we know that God has provided in his word to assure us of our faith. 1 John 5.13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You see, that's what the cultist wants to do. Ah, oh, you may not have eternal life unless you believe the way I believe. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Is Jesus really who, he, who you think he is? Is he really God in the flesh? First John 3.19 says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now we go to the, protag- the protagonists. Ah. I'm not going to have time. I wish I did. So the protagonists of this epistle. 
And this to me is the important point. Uh, generally, the protagonist in a story or drama is the hero, right? John Wayne riding out, you know, out of the sunset. But a protagonist can also mean the leading role in a drama or a story. And sometimes the protagonist can be, or the, or, you know, it could be a foe. Could be the bad guy. And there's two leading roles or protagonists in the epistle. Number one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the heroes. They're the heroes in this epistle. It's as plain to see as you read through this that they are the champions of our faith. Without them, there would be no fellowship. And then you've got the villains. Every story has a villain. Right? Every story has a villain. And there's lots of villains here. One, or A, our own sinful natures. B, the many antichrists. C, the world. Especially this godless world system we live in today. Uh, D, the many false prophets. And these false prophets are in league with the antichrist and with the world. They propagate their lies. And then finally, the spirit of error. That's the real power behind all of this. All right, so sinful natures, antichrist, world, false prophets, spirit of error. The spirit of error, E-R-R-O-R. This is my Missouri... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on your worksheet, the main threat that these types propagated in John's day to ruin the fellowship of the reconciled was to deny that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he had not, had not, come in the flesh. So deny and had not. 1 John 2.22 Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Antichrist. 1 John 4.3 That every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Well, you have heard it should be it should come, and even now already is it in the world. It was a t- it was these teachings of these false prophets and antichrists that denied the truth. That John was an eyewitness to that truth. Right? I saw Jesus Christ come in the flesh. I saw that truth, but through their false doctrine, they were promoting a darkness that was enveloping the early church and that same darkness still exists today and it still seeks to envelop the truth and its darkness it still does uh, by promoting a sensual a sensual libertarian lifestyle they countered God who is righteous in pursuit of a higher consciousness via self love and love for the world uh, they minimized you know, God is light and God is love. So on your worksheet, in John's time, these villains were known as Gnostics. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Gnostics. 
They held the fundamental belief that the physical world was corrupted, therefore God could never come in the form of a physical man, for God would then corrupt his nature, coming in contact with sinful material. They figured God was too holy to come in contact with the material world. And if God came into contact with, the, then it would corrupt his nature. Now, can God's nature be corrupted? Holy is holy. I'm sorry. Holy is holy. You know the Latin term for Gnostic is ignoramus. Ignoramus? So they taught that God, um, if God would come in the form of a man to redeem man, in the Gnostics' mind, this was ludicrous and even blasphemy. Okay, so right there, what's attacked? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Right there. So on your worksheet, Gnosticism taught that the salvation of the soul was dependent upon the possession of quasi-intuitive knowledge of the mysteries of the universe. Where have we heard that? Yeah. And that the ultimate end of this knowledge was a return to the parent spirit by certain rites and magic formula. Now that was in John's day. Gnostics were called the people who knew. And due to the claim of possessing this quasi-intuitive knowledge, this in their own minds constituted them a superior class of beings. We're kind of hearing that language as well today. (laughs) Again on your worksheet, these Gnostics adopted an elitist mentality of being superior to the unenlightened among them and often form religious sects or socially elite classes. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. They thought they were better. They thought they had a greater enlightenment. The danger that the Gnostics played in the early church age and still do in our own day was that they adopted many of the terms of Christianity but redefined them. Putting their own spin on the truths that were the foundation of Christian teaching. And because they redefined these terms they led many astray. Um, Not much different than what's going on today, folks. The same tactic, whether it's religious or political or social, they take the truth and they put a different definition on it. The Apostle Paul had to confront an early form of this Gnosticism in his day. That's why he wrote uh, the book of Colossians. Because men were coming into the church in Colossae and through their vainly puffed up fleshly minds they were presenting all of this mixture of, of uh, Judaism and or, uh, Oriental mysticism and philosophy and they were mixing this all together and using Christian terminology and it was causing a real problem in the Colossian church. That touch not, taste not, worshipping of angels... That goes on today. Break out the Ouija board and connect to Jesus. That's going on today, guys. That mysticism. 
These teachings sounded wise, they sounded righteous, they sounded spiritual, but they were not biblical. Same thing today. There's a lot of spiritual stuff out there, but it's not biblical. It's the modern Gnosticism. It's the modern Gnosticism. From vainly puffed up elitist fleshly minds. By the time of John's epistle in 90 AD, this heresy of Gnosticism was widespread among the churches, and it posed a genuine threat. It really did. It was, it was one of the greatest threats to early Christianity. Paul warned about this in Acts, 20, uh, Acts chapter 20, 28 through 30. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Now, when you think of the word perverse, do not think of some guy in a trench coat flashing little girls on the playground. Okay? The word perverse in the Bible means to distort something. It means to turn away from the right path or to twist the truth, to pervert the truth, to um, lead away somebody astray. Paul mentioned this in Galatians 1, 6, and 7. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Why? What was going on? Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So they were taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were perverting it. Same thing that's going on today. Yeah. Yeah. After they got saved. Same thing is going on today. Paul refers to these distorters as grievous wolves. John comes right out and calls them antichrist. He also calls them false prophets. And they're all inspired and empowered by that spirit of error. Essentially, on your worksheet, essentially the Gnostic believed that the Godhead was a pure spirit being. Pure spirit. Pure spirit being. John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? That sounds right, doesn't it? What's missing is the truth part. On your worksheet, this is where the deterioration begins to settle in. The Gnostics teach that the Godhead, being a pure spirit being, was, was, was entirely alienated from the physical universe and that other spiritual beings emanated from the Godhead called Demiurge, D-E-M-I-U-R-G-E. Now listen to this. Of whom this demiurge, an evil spirit being, created the universe and mankind as well. So the world and man was created by an evil spirit, not by a holy God, according to the Gnostics. The Gnostics taught that mankind was a soul and body, 
And so it was connected to the evil physical universe, but also contained a spark of divinity. We all have a piece of God in us. On your worksheet, salvation in the Gnostic teaching consisted of the spark of the divine in humanity becoming aware or woke through knowledge. And, uh, through knowledge of its true identity. Woke to its true identity with the goal of being reunited with the Godhead. Now where have we heard that? Already we can see the doctrines of God as Creator and Jesus Christ as Savior uh, being twisted. Being twisted. No, I can't. So the divine spark become woke in man led to two extremes. One, asceticism. A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. Asceticism. This was an attempt to withdraw from the world. In some extreme cases, even self-castration so they wouldn't have sexual intercourse. Because Origin was one of those folks. Because they felt as though sex was sinful, you know. But yet the Bible says sex is okay in the marriage bed. The ignorance of these ascetics was that their attempt to separate from the evil in the world didn't realize that when they went into these caves and these monasteries, they brought the world with them. Mark 15, 16, Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. So you see, it's not what's on the outside that's defiling us, it's what's on the inside that's defiling us. And so going to sit on top of a mountain in a cave will do you no good. But the ascetics didn't believe that. Then we have another extreme. You're ready for it. Antinomianism. And I'll spell it. I butchered the pronunciation. A-N-T-I-N-O-M-I-A-N-I-S-M. This teaches that there is no moral law that we are held to obey or observe. You see that a lot. <laughs> Since there is no moral law, then there is no sin. And if there is no sin, then one can flout all the rules of society to show that they don't belong to the society. Again, there's that idea of being separated. Being separated. So they separate themselves from all the world's order, all the world's laws. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's what's going on today. Our country has experienced this kind of anarchy in the last two or three years. Anarchy is a political philosophy and movement that is skeptical of all justifications for authority, any kind of authority. And it seeks to abolish these institutions claiming that they're unnecessary. 
They're unnecessary. And so they try to take down these authorities by acting out. We saw that in uh, Portland. That's what's going on. If you stop and think about it, there, that's what's going on in the political realm in this country as well. Those laws that help this country become great are now being undermined. And they're no longer valid. No longer valid. On your worksheet, in Christian circles, this is referred to as license. L-I-C-E-N-S-E. License. And the teaching is this, since Christ died on the cross and we no longer bound to the Old Testament law, we are now at liberty to live life as we see it. A lot of people like to tout their Christian liberty. I have liberty in Christ. License is lasciviousness, which is a biblical term used six times. Lasciviousness. If you want to know what the word lascivious means, it means license. You're like a free-range chicken. You can go anywhere you want. Eat anything you want. Defecate anywhere you want. You're just absolutely free from all restraint. Jude shows us uh, the possibility that people would turn the grace of God into license or lasciviousness. Jude verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness or license and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These very men, Jude warned, would become leaders in your church. Even pastors over your church. And they are there today. They are there today. Men and women in leadership in the church, living lascivious or lives of license. And really the, the concept of license is very, is, it's very simple. And it's, it, it's boiled down to this. Because I have been forgiven... I can sin and not worry about judgment. That's essentially what license teaches. License teaches that when Jesus stamped out my debt to God paid in full, that he issued me a license to live my life any way I felt like it. If I choose to live a life of sin, I don't have to worry about hell. I'm saved. My, you know, my sin is permanently paid for. I'm covered under grace, so I'm good to go. Hmm. Romans six, chapter uh, chapter six, verse one says, "What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein?" See, a lot of people who practice license. Uh, they don't even consider themselves sinners or that their behavior is necessarily sinful. Uh, When confronted by others uh, concerning their sin, they have a justification. Well, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm okay. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm okay. Or they simply refuse to see it as sin. Oh, you're just being legalistic. You're being legalistic. Don't judge me. You don't know me. Don't judge me. That's license. 
Does one not have to question their salvation at some point? Again, God's the judge. God's the judge. A lot of these types, not all of them, a lot of these types look at Christianity as just a religion and not so much a relationship. And sadly, some who look at it as a relationship still have this this, yeah, this concept of license. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Don't use that grace as a cloak to do whatever you feel like doing. And I'll close with this illustration because I'm not going to be able to finish. Many years ago, I've told you about my friend who uh, committed adultery. He was a deacon and a leader in his local church at the time. And when my friend was confronted by the pastors and deacons about this, uh, he defended himself saying that he was ministering to this woman because her husband was in a coma. So he was doing his duty as a deacon to meet her physical need, to minister to her physical need, because her husband, who was in a coma, was unable to do so. Well, the pastors and the deacons didn't see it the same way my friend did. And so they took away his office of a deacon and they told him, uh, you need to repent of this and you need, to, you need to confess this before the church. Well, he got angry and left the church and refused to repent and, and just got angry and, and left the church. Uh, sometime afterwards, when I spoke to him about this, trying to encourage him to do the right thing, he got angry with me and he says, I am washed under the blood of the Lamb and therefore no longer accountable for what I do. That's license. That's license. Um, of course, those of us who believe the record of tro- uh, truth know this is, this is wrong-headed thinking. This is dangerous thinking. And unfortunately, my friend became his own judge, right? And he proclaimed himself um, innocent uh, based upon his own private interpretation concerning God's grace. And that is not an isolated circumstance. That's out there. If you're paying attention, that's out there. So with this primer on Gnosticism, you can now appreciate Paul's rebuke in Colossians about touch not, taste not, handle not, which pairs with, with the using. And um, I have to close with this last final statement on your worksheet. The Gnostics wanted to leave the world and not save the world. This is why they formed their own little communities and isolated themselves in an attempt to escape the world. And unfortunately, there are many Bible believers that do this very same thing. They, they have a mindset of escapism. And so they desire to form these little communities, uh, these little compact little bodies, trying to isolate themselves from the lost. And so they create these little pockets so they, don't, so they can minimize their contact with the lost. Is that what we should be doing?
No. We are to be fishers of men. Fishers of men. So on your worksheet, this will be the last thing that I'm going to say. If we as believers in Jesus Christ, and by the way, did he not come from glory to come down and dwell among us sinful people? Yeah. If we believers circle the wagons and only permit others like us inside, we will fail in our commission to teach all nations and reach the lost for Christ with the gospel. It's also a failure of our faith in John, 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No, they seek to isolate. But we insulate. Yeah, we insulate, but folks try to isolate. No, we insulate ourselves from the world. So I'm going to have to stop there. And uh, we'll get into the next one when we get back next Sunday. Any questions, comments, rebuttals? Okay, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Father in heaven, um, Lord, uh, the Apostle Paul warned that in the last days, perilous times would come.